Welcome everyone, I'm Kevin Miller and this is The Ziggler Show, inspired by the grandfather of inspiration himself, Zig Ziggler. Our focus here is you and your personal development. The way to have more tomorrow is to become more today, so we bring you the best of today's world influencers and their messages and discover how we can all apply new and classic methodologies of personal growth to our lives. In this episode, the very real pride and shame of our character. Well, folks, this is interesting. In the episode, I play a clip from Zig Ziglar on the power of the words we speak uh, with and about other people. Then I posted a question on Facebook that went a little bit of a different direction, a better one, actually. I asked, if you were daily being recorded in secret, what would you be proud of and what would you be embarrassed by? And I was literally thinking about our spoken words and what we say out loud to others or in private with ourselves. Well, many of the replies addressed this, but the common thread also included thoughts and behaviors and unfolded into what people are ultimately proud and ashamed of regarding their personal character and behavior. Another testimony this is to the richness of these Q&A episodes, uh, which are due to the audience testimonies more than my personal leading, I believe. Well, I had Tom Ziegler co-host with me, and we talked through these very candid and vulnerable testimonies that I think you will relate to. I think the show will give you both grace for the things that you are somewhat embarrassed by about yourself, while increasing your conviction to pursue what you are proud of regarding your personal character. Hey, another thank you for the influx of listeners like you who keep sharing the shows with others on social media. Uh, episode 728, which was titled Victim Speak, You're Doing It, Stop, that I did with my dad, Dan Miller, was shared just a great deal. I'm not sure what about that specific show hit a nerve, but it obviously did. And so many people shared it. Just thank you for posting. Uh, you can get the postings to share and join our weekly conversations on uh, Facebook. Uh, if you'll come to my Facebook page at Agent K Miller, you can friend me there. Well, we're going to start in with Zig's message and then Tom and I talking through your comments right after I share some great products and services I think will be of interest to you. Want to build winning relationships? You need to remember that the mic is always open and the lights are always on. You ever notice the number of, quote, celebrities when they're quoted about something, they say, well, I didn't know that was for public consumption, or I didn't know the microphone was on, and this sort of thing, which really is pretty ridiculous. Several years ago, I was speaking up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, at a trade school. The media, somehow or other, had learned that I was going to be there. As I was speaking, roughly one-third of the kids were sitting there all ears. I mean, they were at the edge of their seats. They were really lapping it up. They were having a wonderful time. Roughly uh, one-third of the uh, students sitting there were reading newspapers or magazines or whatever. And roughly a third of them were leaning back, uh, acting like a cool way to treat, you know, this big dude from Dallas had coming up there, going to tell them how to do things. Well, when the television camera came in, they started at the very back of the room, and that bright light on the front of the camera was uh, on, and they were uh, videotaping uh, all the kids uh, in that audience. They walked straight down, they came up on the side of the uh, platform and came behind me, and they're now taking the picture of me talking to the students. Well, I want to tell you, in 10 seconds flat, I saw the most amazing transformation in an audience I have ever seen in my life. 
The papers disappeared. The magazines disappeared. Everybody sat up straight. They started straightening their hair. I mean, there was a dramatic change in the way they looked. Tremendous lesson there. I said to the kids, now kids, I want to observe something to you. A few minutes ago, many of you could care less about what I had to say. You possibly still care less. But all of a sudden, you're very concerned about your image. Well, your image is not a thing in the world, but the way you really are. Sooner or later, it's going to show itself. You can fool some of the people some of the time and all of the people some of the time, but sooner or later, as the saying goes, you can fool the boss, you can even fool the people around you, but as employers, I can tell you, you will never fool the people below you. They get to see you warts and all. They get to see the good part and the bad part. I said to the kids, you want to always remember that the lights are always on and the mic is always open. If you will keep that in mind, then you'll be able to go further in life. Out of the Wall Street Journal, here's what we read. The snake that poisons everybody. It topples governments, wrecks marriages, ruins careers, busts reputation, causes heartaches, nightmares, indigestion, spawns suspicion, generates grief, dispatches innocent people to cry on their pillows. Even its name hisses. It's called gossip. How true. How very true. I love this also. I am an office mystery. I've never seen, but I'm everywhere. I'm always on the job and often forecast important events. I make and unmake morals, reputations, and cooperation, but I'm seldom blamed for my mistakes. I have no responsibilities, and I am one of the most powerful molders of opinion. I add humor and anger to the office, and I pass with the speed of sound. I am basic in human nature, and you must accept me. I grow right behind you. I am the office grapevine. How true. The words we use, so enormously important in life itself. Above all things, we need to make sure that our heart and our attitudes are right. I like the story of uh, this uh, young woman and her mother were uh, talking, and the daughter's close friend, Linda, uh, showed up in the driveway, long driveway, and the daughter said, Do you know Linda is so slender, I just hate her. And the mother said, Well, now, come on. You know, perfectly good and well, there's something you can do about that. She said, It sure is. Linda, sure glad to see you. I've been saving you a big old piece of chocolate cake. <laughs> That's not exactly the approach I had in mind. How important are relationship? Well, God issued two commandments on which he hung all the law and the prophets. One, love God. Two, love your neighbor as yourself. Albert Einstein put it this way. Love thy neighbor as thyself is like a natural law, almost like a physical part of the universe. How important are words? Several years ago, the redhead and I were at a little resort area not too far from here. It was a weekend. We were scheduled to play golf. We were to tee off, I believe, at around 1.30. As it often happens on uh, holiday weekends, you know, things get backed up and they're delayed. So we got there and uh, I knew we'd be at least 30 minutes late. Well, we were putting and piddling around until tee-off time got started. 
Well, finally, there's one foursome in front of us. And the redhead and I were standing there waiting for them. And this young six-foot-four-inch, approximately Adonis, was on the tee box. Weighed about 240 pounds, had about a 48-inch chest and about a 31-inch waist. Kind of guy you could instantly dislike. I mean, he had muscles in places. I don't even have places. Well, he stepped up there, you know, to the tee, and uh, he teed his ball up, and he took his uh, driver, and, and he laid it down, and he picked it up. And he laid it down and he picked it up. He would get ready and then he would look up. He'd get ready and, and finally, you know, I, I turned to the redhead. I said, well, that guy's not a golfer, that's for sure. She said, well, how do you know? I said, oh, come on, sweetheart. I've been playing golf a long time. I've seen a lot of golfers and I can tell you that dude is not a golfer. Well, finally, after what seemed like forever, he uh, threw the club back. And he busted that sucker about 240 or 50 yards right down the middle. Well, so much for my golf expertise. <laughs> well, he walked over to his cart. He put his club uh, in his bag. He walked straight back to me. He said, Mr. Ziegler, I heard what you said when you spoke in our community about two years ago. It completely changed my life. I want you to know it's just an honor for me to be on the same golf course with you. I don't need to tell you how I felt about two inches tall. And the thought occurred to me right then and there as I asked for forgiveness. What would my impact have been on him had he heard what I said then? Folks, our words are so important. We need to be very careful about what we say to and about other people. Well, Tom, as I often, I, I think I generally end up doing this when I post a question. At some point, I'll talk about my own answer. But I led off with this one because I was trying to steer it towards one direction. But that, as, I, as I talked about in the intro, it went, it went that direction, but it went more. And thank goodness that's the beauty of these candid Q&A shows, but on this aspect that ultimately ended up of, you know, character wise, what would I be okay? What am I proud of uh, being overheard or my thoughts or whatever? And what am I not so proud of? And I, I think I, you, you know, it's hard not to use that word. Oh gosh, I'm ashamed of this. I know shame is kind of a dirty word, but it's also a truthful word. And sometimes we do things that we're not so uh proud of and we're ashamed of. So on this, I, I, I said, man, 95% of the time or more, I am proud how I talk to and respond to my kids. I am so intentional with, uh, with that, with my wife too, but I don't, I, as I thought about it, I'm probably even more intentional with my kids. How is my response to them? Is it with grace? Is it with patience? Is it with understanding? I, I lose it every once in a while, but um, but for the most part, I would be happy to have that secretly recorded or videotaped or overheard, but embarrassed often. And I've literally caught myself at something I will utter mutter to myself just with a common little mistake, misstep, whatever. And gosh, Kevin, I don't know if I say my name and I think about that, but I just speak to myself. These just critically harsh words. I would never speak to another person. I'm aware of it, which is step one. I'm still, uh, and I'm starting to have times of, it'll start to come out and go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. chill out. All right. It's all right. So th there's, there's what I came out with. What were your first thoughts on it, Tom? Well, first off, uh, it's like I'm two Toms, okay? So on the, 
I'm the well-rested Tom who's had my perfect start to the day. And, you know, maybe that's like 90% of the time. And I'm good. I'm, I think I'm good. Um, but boy, when I get a little tired or when the seventh thing in a row pops in, I can get a little short. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of what I always try to like step back just a little bit and go, whoa, wait a second. Uh, you know, dad, dad had this saying, and this is a great one. Uh, he said when people would come to him when he was under pressure, stressure, uh, stress or pressure or, uh, overwhelmed or tired. And somebody would ask him one of those questions. He would say, Hey, if you want the answer now, it's no. If you can wait until tomorrow, then who knows? <laughs> that, that is wise. And how often do we have that with our spouse or employees or kids or whatever, where it would be best to say, man, I am, I am not in the best state. Uh, and I hear you on that, Tom. I've, and I've grown to do that, to have some evenings where I know I have kind of tapped out. Um, I've exerted a lot. Maybe I didn't get good sleep night before, whatever. And I know I'm just, I'm really struggling with my attitude. I would be best to just go away, probably just go to bed and go to sleep and get rested or even just take some time, read a book, uh, whatever, but I am not in a good state. And I think it's, that's been a hard lesson for me because I don't generally want to have limits. And I think with our family, it's real important to know, uh, those we love and do life with on a daily basis, when are they best at having that kind of a conversation? Yeah. Right now I'm best at it. First thing in the morning. Well, yeah. when I say first thing, I mean like within 30 minutes of waking up. Yeah. But my daughter, whew, you know, we, we need to wait until lunchtime. <laughs> she, yeah. she's just wired where she needs to have uh, a time to wake up a time to get, some, some food getting through her veins, you know, and, and, and kind of that energy. My wife is definitely not a first thing in the morning person either. So. Hey, I would pick, uh, you can wake me up and we can talk immediately. I'll pick I'll, five seconds, man. I'm, I can talk to you, but yeah, unfortunately come around six o'clock. I just assume not have any deep discussions, which is unfair and unreasonable with my family, but yes. Um, and then, uh, you know, something else that's kind of interesting is, is I'm working with a couple, fantastic couple. And uh, in, in the first, so this is legacy coaching. So in the first session, uh, she asked, hey, can we not talk about business after six o'clock at night or after seven? They got young kids. They work in the same business. And uh, he was like, yeah, let's do that. Well, they've, they've made the commitment to it. And last time we met with them, they were just sparkling because, oh, wow. because it was not only probably the added pressure of being a little tired, taking care of the kids, but you know, evening time business conversations usually aren't about dreaming and wow, wasn't that great. It's usually about yeah. the, the challenge. So boundaries are really good. Oh, that, I didn't mean to get to that. I think that's, that's a, that's a great topic. Yeah. Especially with a spouse, business partner or whatever. And I've done that with my wife is saying, man, the, the evenings are so hard. If we're going to really go into this talk about, you know, goals or family planning or even worse, the budget, uh, you know, or finances, let's do it on Saturday morning or heck let's, I'll just carve out time during the day. Let's do it Thursday afternoon at one, you know, or whatever. Um, well, so let me, uh, go down through some of these, 
uh, Terry Johnson. He says, I'm proud of the way I talk to my kids at work. Um, I'm always teaching and I'm confident uh, how confident I am with my clients. I'm, pl- I'm proud of as well, but embarrassed myself, talk about myself. If someone else spoke to me the way I do, sometimes I probably wouldn't be their friend. I love how he puts that. I didn't think about it in those terms for myself, but yeah, do I speak to my, I, well, I don't. And I know that it's always been an issue and I am striving more than ever to change that, but it feels like a long road ahead to have you know, here, here I am wanting to have the capacity for compassion for other people. And I've come to realize that I don't think I will ever come to much fruition with it until I have compassion for myself. I've made some steps. I'll say that, Tom. You know, we talk about, um, you cannot give something you don't have. And the, you know, and I'm mainly talking about the non-monetary financial stuff, right? So if, if, if we want to be compassionate, then we have to be compassionate about ourselves first. Forgive. If we want to forgive others. We got to forgive ourselves first. Yeah. So boy, that's, that's just right on the spot. And it is. how can you be a friend if you're not a friend to yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, Terry, that's pretty insightful. I like the way you said that last thing. That is. It reminds me of that saying of, of people, uh, hurt, hurt people, hurt people. That Generally, they're speaking and how they feel about themselves. Uh, well, Frank uh, Redivide, it looks like the last name is. He says, if I was being video recorded, I would be proud about my relationships, how I treat uh, my kids, my prayer life, my habits and morning rituals. I would be completely embarrassed in how I waste some of my time. Also, when my patience wears them with others and what I think or say, it's still an issue for me. That was great. And I don't know if anybody else brought that up. I would be embarrassed about my waste of time. And I thought about even uh, if people had to be accountable to and show the world their screen usage during the day. And of course it's easy to think about the bad things like pornography or something like that. But what about just the, the goofy little game or the scrolling of Facebook posts or Instagram posts or whatever of just idle mind candy. And that's convicting to all of us, man. I can easily, I use Facebook for the most part, just for business. And I'll go on there and check. That's where these questions came from. But I, do I ever go and just check that? Man, I always scroll a little bit. And I think that. I, I scroll a little bit and I'll look and I'll think that it's even business and stuff. You know, I'm going to go see what Tom Ziegler put down there. I bet he put something inspirational down. I, I bet the amount of time that I actually spend, and I'll catch myself sometimes and think, man, I, and I probably think I've been doing this for a minute. It's probably been five. Now, what am I doing? I've got work to do or other important things. But yeah, I think that's a convicting thing for us all to think about. I don't even want to go there. <laughs> there you go. Uh, how, okay. Here's, here's one Wade Maines. I would be proud of my relationship with Jesus and the choice to be resilient, uh, but embarrassed by how much I am destructed. That's a big statement there. How much, and, and in my, he didn't write this by, in my own mind, as I was reading it, I, I put self-destructed and just thought about self-sabotage. And I probably did that because I know I have that propensity 
as well in some areas of my life. Not all. And I think that's one where we try to, we tend to label ourselves and that's usually not true. I have some areas of my life. I am a rock star and I have others where I self-sabotage. Uh, and those, yeah, I, I bet a lot of people can relate to embarrassment about how much they, again, to some point are not their own best supporter. Yep. And I tell you what, that's the, that's the enemy. Um, so many people I talk to battle with the old soundtrack of I'm not worthy. I can't do this. You know, look at me. I don't have this amount of education. I made all those mistakes in the past that pretty much neutralizes or makes me insignificant in any contribution in any way. Um, and I know Wade well, and he's, man, he's overcome a lot in his life and has a profound influence in people. Uh, and what gets us derailed is uh, we, we get a little setback and then the mind track starts going back, playing all the negative tapes. And all of a sudden uh, what the enemy is doing is trying to get you in a position of, you know, why even bother? Yeah. You know, you're, you don't have anything to say. And even if you did, people aren't going to believe you because look at what you did. And to me, it's, it's what I teach is it's actually the reverse. The reason you're going to have uh, influence and that one word that somebody needs is because you fought the battle. You've been resilient. You've made a mistake, but learned from it, which really means that maybe it wasn't a mistake like you thought yeah. it was. Right. Uh, and then you, you do the work, right. You forgive yourself. You've, you ask for forgiveness, you forgive other people, you go through those steps, and then God's going to put in, in your steps, in your path, uh, somebody who's going to need the word that only you can give them. You know, it's the, I call it, well, I don't call it, but I think I read about it, the fellowship of suffering. Hmm. And there's something about connecting with people in suffering who are experiencing the same kind of suffering that you had. And the suffering can be uh, just because the world's hard. It was nothing you did to yourself or it just happened to you. Or the suffering could be, Hey, I made a bad decision or a bad choice. And now I've got the consequences. Yeah. You overcome it. And then you run across somebody who uh, has, made the same choice and they're in the middle of the furnace. You can connect with them and give them hope more than anybody else can. But too many times people say, well, why would they listen to me? Because I'm, I had the same problem. They wouldn't listen to me. That's the enemy. Well, you said in what you just, in, in what you just talked, you use the word resilience and resilient a bunch of times. And well, you know, Wade said, embarrassed by how much I self-destruct. The next one hits right on what you just said, Tommy. He says, it's Paul uh, Verby. He says, I'm proud of my relationship with wife and kids. Embarrassed. He uses the word just like Wade did right after him. Embarrassed about how hard it is to let go of past hurts. Man, you talk about an area where resilience is needed. So I'll point out, folks, uh, show six, episode 647 of The Ziggler Show was with Rick Hansen. He wrote the book Hardwiring ha uh, Happiness. And our focus was on that, but also he has a new book called Resilient. So a great one to listen to if you haven't heard it. But 
to what Paul says about past hurts, show 631 I did with Mastin Kip. His book is Claim Your Power. And his focal point is his belief, his, his uh, platform in essence, is that wherever we are and, and wherever we're not getting, whatever our hangups uh, is, he thinks it's around unresolved trauma in your life. And we, we, I always want to clarify that word trauma, because that's not a word that I associate with at all. I would naturally say I have had zero trauma in my life, but in this, he say, he, he of course expands on trauma. We've all had challenges. We've all had difficulties. We've all had failures. We've all had, so I do have trauma. We're all on the, on the, as my, as my buddy, Dr. Randy James would say, we're all on the spectrum of trauma. Maybe very little, maybe very, very much, but we're all on the spectrum there. So there are two resources for that letting go of past hurts. Cause yeah, you know, along with resilient, I mean, the, the issue of forgiveness, I mean, we're on one of the big topics of all time and all faith and all being, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm listening to, uh, uh, Dr. Carolyn Leaf right now, and she's written several books. Uh, and one of them is there's actually a, there's studies out that say that you've heard the term forgive and forget. Mm-hmm. And they're linked in your mind. And it's, you can't really forget something until you forgive it. Mm. And so those hurts, the past hurts, uh, those will, that trauma will resurface, resurface, resurface uh, until you can forgive it. And there's a whole thing on forgiveness that that we won't go into, but forgiving is is more for you than it is for the yeah. person that you're forgiving. So uh, that's some. Go ahead. Yeah, well, that's right. Where I, I was thinking, of course, as always, we talk about her constantly. Shanti Feldhahn, where the kindness challenge, the kindness you I just do. And that's her point that's so, so impacting to me is that it's, it does more for us than the person we're being kind to. You're listening to The Ziggler Show. How many shows do I mention Shanti Feldhahn? I had her on with us in episode 464. I can't recommend her more. I encourage you to get her book as well, The 30-Day Kindness Challenge. Well, next, Tom shares a very real story of a guy he's coaching who has dealt with significant hurts in his life. And Tom makes a statement that the guy, and I quote, he buried all his past hurts under piles of victory instead of transforming those hurts so he can become the person God created him to become. You're going to want to hear it all, and I'll bring you right back into it after I share some great products and services with you. That's massive. So I was working with, with one of our guys, um, and I can't remember if we talked about it uh, last time we did a show, but. Uh, he, he experienced a lot of hurts early in his life and he's a type A. And I would say that a lot of people listening to this podcast are kind of that type A where we go out, we serve, we win, we make a difference, we excel. And if you don't deal with past hurts, then they surface again Mm -hmm. and they tend to surface when everything else is going wrong. So what he did was, is uh, recently he's had some more hurts and it's resurfaced all the things that he hadn't dealt with. And so here was kind of the quote that I gave him. I said, hey, like a type A, you you buried all of your past hurts under piles of victories. Hmm. 
instead of transforming those situations, those hurts, so that they could help you become the person God created you to become. And so what we need to do is transform those hurts, right? We need to forgive. We need to understand what we learned out of that. How does that make us different? And then I like the story of Job. Uh, not many people in the Bible were hurt more than Job. I mean, his life was just a disaster. And one of the last verses about Job was he gave an inheritance to his doc, to his daughters. And that was totally counterculture. And my pastor, Dwayne Owens, said, um, he said, think about that. Could he have gone counterculture, a, a patriarchal society? Could he have given his daughters an inheritance unless he knew what it felt like to have nothing? Hmm. Hmm. And so he couldn't imagine those he loved not having anything. And so we go through these hurts and it's, it's terrible. Uh, but then there's always that thing that changes us that allows us to transform to another level. Well, I wrote down that line and folks, if you didn't uh, capture that Tom, you said he buried his past hurts under piles of victory. Yeah. I, I resonate with it. Hurts, failures, you know, unresolved traumas as Mastin Kip said again, under piles of victory, under success, under progress as definitely that was a trajectory of most of my life until recent years and, and not dealing with those, you know, again, call them hurts, call them lacks, bad, uh, um, limiting beliefs, bad habits and on right. and on. And so just, this is real simple and, but it, it's, it's in the context of this conversation right now. If we have an unresolved trauma or hurt and we get sent back there, then we immediately re recreate that emotion. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that can be, that just piles on. It can be devastating. So we're back in that position again. If we transform that hurt and then what I mean by that is, Oh, I learned this. And then I was able to help, Kevin, I mean, I was able to help Kevin through that situation. Well, when that resurfaces it again, now I've got this, this new, you know, wow, I was so grateful to help Kevin. And so that's at a totally different emotion. So what I learned out of that's now being used for good because I dealt with it. That's great. I just wrote down, Tom, you know, taking a hurt, resolve it, transform it. Don't relive it, relive it. Um, that's stout. It's uh, gosh, I know I, I keep hitting on, well, that's what we're here for hitting on other people. This is uh Hal Elrod. And I don't, I didn't pull it up quick enough to see which show it wasn't that long ago. Hal Elrod, he's a miracle morning guy, but he talked about his, his five minute rule, which other people have talked about that as well to take something, be upset with it, feel it, and then get over it and get beyond it. And it sounds pithy, but man, I, I, I would type in uh, Hal Elrod, the Ziegler show, and you'll find that one. I, I highly recommend it to anyone, everyone. Well, Soma Hathaway here, she says, I'm proud of my, oh, she says, resilient. I'm proud of my ability to be resilient through my trials. Embarrassed that as hard as I work at it, I still recognize times when I am judging others, uh, especially judging myself. You know, it's interesting. Let me pull up another one. This is Jennifer Meisel. She says, living alone, 
uh, I'm living alone, so I'd be proud for people to hear my phone conversations with my family and how much we love and support each other, but embarrassed by how harshly I judge reality stars on shows that I watch, which I would say if she's doing it there, she's probably doing it elsewhere, at least in her mind as well. But here we have two people proud of an aspect, but then embarrassed by how they judge others. And yeah, Tom, I would say from my own experience and with others that that judgment becomes from their own judgment of themselves back to what we talked about. They're not having compassion. Uh, possibly I would pose because that's, that's sure me. I don't tend to have compassion for others. because I don't have it for myself and I have a judgmental spirit. I am always working to overcome because it's what I have for myself, which is why some of my self-talk is so uh, vilifying to myself, naturally, wherever that came from. Um, I'll blame it on my parents. How's that? Can I do that? I'm not supposed to blame here. Uh, here, Mimi McLeod. This one's stout, Tom. I'd be most proud of how I communicate and pour into my staff. I'd be most embarrassed by the fact that once I leave the office, I'm alone. Every day, every night, for eight years post-divorce, I raised my children solo with no assistance whatsoever, and now I'm alone. I don't pour into me, and no one else does either. Period. That was a heavy post, and I responded to Mimi and just thanked her for, uh, I think she's posted before. I've been in communication with her uh, at some point, I remember, but uh, that was very vulnerable, uh, very candid. She just opened up a wound, let us see that. And I wonder how many others relate to that, whether or not it's divorce, whether it's being single or whether it's just being alone. We talk about this so often more and more, I think, because we're in this culture where I'll say it again. I know everybody's heard it. I assume they have, but where we are more, you know, quote, connected than ever and more isolated than ever. And we are flat out in the medical healthcare uh, arena, seeing the stats increase every day of depression uh, and suicide. Number one, at a time when you would think that we would all be at the height of our uh, affluence, our comfort, our ease of life, as far as conveniences and technology and whatever, and yeah, all this social media connectedness, it seems as social media has rise. Not, and I'm not going to vilify it. I'm not smart enough to know the science. Uh, you know, we, we interviewed Cal Newport. He talked about digital minimalism and he talked about some of the research there. I didn't retain that. I'm not an expert in it, but it is interesting as social media has gone up and our eyes and interests have gone away from people onto screens uh, and all of our quote friends there, we have... The testimonies, especially from the younger crowd, of isolation, of loneliness, and we do have, again, the absolute in concrete stats of depression, depression medication, uh, suicide that continues to increase. So what Mimi said right there, I wonder how many people she spoke for that are feeling right there with her. She didn't try to resolve that. She didn't uh, preface that. She said, man, this is where I am. Boom. Probably the most telling thing she said is the admission that she's not pouring into her. No one else is either. But there, I would say, is her first um, first prescriptive need is to be pouring into herself. Maybe this was this will help as a catalyst for it. Yep. And once again, I, because I'm in the middle of the book, I think it came from uh, Dr. Carolyn Lee's book. But 
there was a there was a study or a statistic that said that today more people are dying early because of loneliness than obesity. Oh wow. Because what you just said, all the side effects of being lonely, right? Yep. So when we, you know, at Ziegler, we have several communities. We have our, our choose to win coaching community. We have our certified trainer community. We have our inner circle business community. And Howard Partridge says that everybody has a longing for belonging. Mm-hmm. And so in these, and so what people are hungry for is they want the knowledge they, you know, they want the expertise. They want to know how to get the answer, but really what they want they want to be part of something. They want to be a community. And so when our people join the inner circle and they're with these like-minded business owners, a bunch of them, they could, they don't really care what we're saying up front. They're getting so much out of the people just like them that they get to build a relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's why people stay. And so uh, me, me, or anybody else, uh, you know, what I believe is that we all have a choice. And so I think you're in the perfect position right now to seek out and choose some communities to get into, uh, and walk into that place being, Hey, you know what? Everybody's like me. They're all lonely Yeah, because that is rampant right now, especially businesses or business owners, because, uh, you can't go to like businesses in your community very often and say, Hey, what's working for you? What are you struggling with? Cause you're competitors. Right. And so we get this mindset that everybody's a competitor and nobody cares and everybody's successful. When the reality is, is they're all lonely. They'd love to help. And they're just hoping somebody will ask them. <laughs> so find a like-minded community and walk in knowing that the majority of the people are just like you. I, Tom, I mean, you're hitting on a, a big point that is absolutely true today. And when you say that, as you said that, I kept thinking of the word that at the core, we all want to know where we belong, which is why we often end up going back to unhealthy relationships, even whether it's family, spouse, work, whatever, because at least it's a place where we belong. And without that, we feel pretty untethered some more than others. I'm an, I'm an introvert. And I was reading, uh, uh, the book, scary close by Donald Miller. And he said, people are so amazed that he can go for months on end and not see a soul. And he gets energy from that. But still, even there, I find that those people seek out and have community to some degree or suffer from the lack of it. You know, there's so many people I was talking with my dad, Dan Miller, who a lot of people know, And he's so involved in the world of masterminds and his personal testimony from that is that it's one of the best things that he's ever done for his individual self, not his business, not his finances. Now those are, are, have had a great, uh, increase as well, or great benefit from it as well. But it's mainly just that it's a group of people he connects with, he resonates with the kindred spirits. And they talk as much about things of the heart as they do things of the business. And that's the biggest benefit that he and I know so many others, most others have. It's the age old thing at the conference you go to and the speakers were great, but man, I met these people and I was inspired by these people. My wife goes to a gym, uh, I don't know, three or four days a week. And it's the, it's the group of people. 
I mean, she loves them. She has as much fun with those as she does doing the class or getting something out of it. So again, folks, if you, whatever word resonates with you, but that absolute, that, that feeling of belonging without that pretty much any of us, regardless of anything, age, gender, uh, personality style, whatever, inherently long for that. Tom, here's an interesting one. Thomas Zelensky, he says, cognitive dissonance is what he's not proud of. And I'm working on closing that gap. He says, I speak of the, of the person I will be, but I'm not there yet. I weigh 200 pounds, uh, but right now I'm way over that. Uh, I have an excellent job, but I'm actually going to be starting that Monday. Uh, and it's great. He is, he's a guy, he's connected with me personally before. He is really working on changing his life. He feels very caught in his current life, and he's really striving to jump out of that rut of his current life. And, you know, we're all in a rut to, to a degree, good and bad, and he is so striving to jump out of that. But that word cognitive dissonance, um, and I, or, or uh, I, I interviewed Lori Gassner audience. She has the book limitless. She uses the word congruence, but talks about that when we are connected, especially in the worst workplace with something that does not align with who we are. If we're in a role that doesn't align with who we really are. And Tom, you, uh, what's the, 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 the story, or there's a term or a phrase that, uh, you or, or your dad or both have used as far as you cannot perform in a way that's different. How's that? Do you remember that? You cannot perform consistently in a manner that's inconsistent with the way you see yourself. There you go. Yeah. And so let, let's talk about cognitive dissonance. Um, and, and so I see there you want to, you know, Thomas, you're like, have this goal to get down below a certain weight. And so let me just show you the difference in the right kind of self-talk versus the wrong kind of self-talk. So your self-talk we might say, man, I'm a, I love being 195 pounds or I, I am healthy and 195 pounds. Well, that's positive self-talk. And, and some would say you're bringing the future into the present and your mind's going to go and complete that picture. But you create cognitive dissonance because you're not there yet. It's, it's, it's not the truth, right? You don't weigh 195 yet. And so the way you can create positive self-talk that gets you there faster without that disconnect is you can say something like, I'm getting fitter and fitter every day in every way, right? You're moving towards your goal. So you make your self-talk something that is true now and is getting you closer to your goal. So you can say, uh, I'm making uh, better and better health decisions every day in my eating, sleeping, and exercising. Yeah. Right. And then what does your brain try to do? Because your mind just mm -hmm. told it to, to make better decisions every day in your eating, sleeping, and exercising. <laughs> yeah. And so now you're building up uh, the, the right picture and there's not the cognitive dissonance. Right. And so we don't have to, to, to battle that because if we, if we tell ourselves, Hey, I weigh, you know, I weigh 195, which is, which is a positive thing, but we don't. Well, after a month of that, we look down and we're still not 195 and you'll tip, you're tempted to say, well, what's the purpose? Yeah. Right. And then we go down that, <laughs> the toilet bowl, right? Oh, this is just me. I never follow through on anything, blah, 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 blah. And of course that's not cognitive dissonance because you've just confirmed everything. 
So when you start basing on the decisions that you make and, you know, this positive progression, then it changes it and the reality becomes true. Yeah. Back to your, your statement, that quote of we can't perform consistently, uh, when we're, I'll use his word, we're not in cognitive dissonance, uh, another show folks, and I'm just ripping them off here today. Cause there's so many that relate to this, these topics. Show 552 episode 552 of the Ziggler show, Benjamin Hardy, his book is willpower does not work, doesn't work. And it is a book that I asked him to send me some, he sent me 10 books that I've given most of them away. And it's just, he hits on this aspect of our willpower is finite. If we just say we're going to every day, we're going to lose weight by gritting our teeth and not eating that bag of chips in the pantry. He said, at some point it's going to wear out. We have a, a finite amount of willpower, a finite amount of, of emotions. And his, uh, his prescription for that is to create an environment where you do not have to exert that willpower. You don't have to exert the willpower against a bag of chips if it's not in your pantry. Take it, take the time when you're strong and feeling good uh, and go shopping and don't buy the chips so that later at night when you're at home and you're flipping channels late at night, they're not there for you to have to exert willpower against. There's nothing around except an apple. Well, you can eat that. And it was really good though. He does a really good job of outline that, yeah, that cognitive dissonance has a limit. And if we're living within that, it's going to break. It's going to come to an end. And we of course will suffer the consequences of that ultimately. Uh, so great resource to look at for this. Uh, here's two that relate to each other very well. And I think very appropriate and will resonate with a lot of people. Mike Chow, he says, I'm proud that I'm good at treating other people uh, at how good I'm, I am at treating other people and embarrassed that sometimes I don't treat my wife and kids well enough due to my impatience. Uh, Clinton Rowe says, I would be most proud of how I deal with and communicate with clients, but embarrassed that I don't do the same at home. Man, that's a constant, consummate story that we, we hear a lot where the, you know, the pastor's up there on stage exhorting people and loving on people and then goes home and, you know, is harsh with his, his family just to take one of the, you know, an, a, analogies we've seen on screen. But goodness, I, that is a reality that I think most of us to some degree struggle with where it is so easy to put that game face on and perform well out there wherever you are in the workplace, at school, whatever, and then come home and not with a ill intent even, but just, a, oh my gosh, can I quit performing? Can I just be me? And it's been a long day and just, and, and we, we take our impatience out and let it run to our families, those closest to us. It's just, we know it's a common thing, Tom. Yeah. You know, Dad, I think um, this is a great little story. He, he was, some guy reached out to him and said, hey, I'm having trouble in my marriage. And Dad knew this guy to be super, super successful, uh, making a lot of money, primarily through sales. And so Dad asked him, because he had a little insight, he just said, hey, uh, I'm just curious, if your number one account called and there were some challenges going on and you were in danger of losing the cow. What would you do? He said, well, I'd drop everything and I'd go see him. Hmm. And then he's then dad said, well, just treat your, your, your wife, like your number one account. You won't have any more problems. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's pithy, but so profound. And, you know, into that, and I, and I say this 
from a personal experience of dealing with it. If you feel like that, that you're so worn out at the end of the day that you hardly have anything left for your family. It's hard to have the patience. It's hard to have the compassion. The problem is with the day. Uh, and I would venture to say you are not in pop very possibly not in cognitive dissonance, dissonance and you're performing outside of yourself, your norm. And you can, again, we're back to that. What, what, uh, Benjamin Hardy said, we're at your, your limit and yeah, you don't have anything left for him. I've been in places where I've told my wife, I am struggling with, it. I'm going to have to change my day in order to be what I need to be at home for my family. Uh, Steve Patterson, this is one, um, you know what, let's, let's say, and there's a lot folks. Thanks as always for the post here. There are so many, we could do this for the next couple hours, but, um, here's one that I am going to, I'm gonna have us land on and expand on a little bit, Tom, Steve Patterson. He says, I would be proud of how I talk about planning, executing and making things happen. I'd be embarrassed that I don't execute and make it happen. There's cognitive dissonance uh, in a big way, but that is the reason that that one stuck out to me. Gosh, there's two ways to go here on this, Tom, or two relevant things. One, that is an issue. So we're back to cognitive dissonance. If you're, you know, if you're preaching, if you're not following what you preach, I mean, we can talk about hypocrisy uh, and that is very real and true and being aware of it. He's got some things to work on um, for sure. However, the thing that, that does get me a little bit in that, and we see it a lot, and I'm bringing this to you, Tom, because you deal, well, you are a coach, you are a consultant, you deal with so many, and we have a lot of people out there that know good truth. They know good guidance. They can help other people with that, even though they are not perfect themselves and don't follow it completely. And to that degree, none of us do. There's, there's no way. I mean, for all the things that I talk about on the show, the truths, the good habits, everything that I espouse, where am I on the scale of following it myself? Honestly, don't know. Do, am I 50%? Am I 45? Am I 75? Maybe I'm 85. I don't know, but I know I'm not a hundred percent. And if I can only talk about the things that I have mastered, the show's over. We're done. Uh, there's, there's very little. I got a, now I got a handful of things. It would be, I, mean, I can talk about exercising every day. I got that one down. I don't know why, man, there's so many that I don't, but here's the truth. And I have to, this comes, I come face to face with this just about every day, Tom, with my kids of saying, okay, guys, here is a truth of goodness, of health, of success. You guys know me and you know, I struggle with it. And you know, exactly where that said, this is still the truth. So I'm not bringing to you as a, as a hypocrite. I'm a messenger. Thank goodness. God opened my eyes to this. I am in the pursuit of it too. So I have to do it in humility. Um, you get my point, Tom, on this, that with coaches and consultants, we see a lot of people struggle with this, man. How do I help people? I mean, you've got to have a level of credibility. You cannot come and be a financial coach while you're in the middle of bit bankruptcy or, or when you don't have two nickels to, I mean, there's, you don't have no credibility, but you can still be struggling with it. Hey, I've gotten out of it. I've made some good grounds. This is what I've done to help myself. And I'm still on the journey. And we see a lot of people doing that really well, Tom. Yeah. You know, for me, it's, um, I'll, I'll be coaching somebody. And when I hang up, I'll be like, man, I didn't take that advice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Whoa. Yeah. And yeah. so for this one, and this is one that I, I know personally, uh, you know, this, this thing of, you know, Hey, I, I speak about what I'm going to do. And then 
time goes by and it doesn't happen, right? Great plans, great ideas. And so I've learned two things uh, that are real important to figure out. A lot of people will get their self-worth, their value out of what it is that they do or accomplish. And so I think for, and this is a little bit me, I'm like, well, in my, in my subconscious, right? Well, what if, what if I do it and it's not that good? Then people are going to think different of me. So better to talk about it than to actually do it and risk the chance of being judged. Right. And that's the only way you lose because we learn by doing things we haven't done before by stretching, by growing. And so we've got to put that one to bed. And the other one is just really tactical. Uh, and this is a way to get out of that. And that's just what I call the power of time blocking. As soon as you make a commitment to somebody else or talk about something, you you make that decision, I'm following through. And the follow through is not just in your head or, or a verbal comment. The follow through is, as I go into my calendar and I actually put the time that I'm going to work on that. Hmm. So I put that name in the calendar, whatever it means, the project, the conversation, whatever. And it gets scheduled out until I finish it because I have another problem. And that is I'm not good at self-discipline. Right. And so what I've got to do is discipline at least my scheduling ability to give myself the time to go and do it. Yeah. Right. And so that's, that's really confronting both ends of the spectrum. What's keeping me from following through anyway, deal with that. And then tactically, what is it that's not allowing me to do it? Cause we're all busy. I don't, golly, you know, if I have a seminar and there's a hundred people in the room and I ask the room, how many of you have more time than you know what to do with hmm. like, like no hands will go up. Zero. Yeah. Zero. And so that's the practical and the tactical. Practical and tactical. I hope that that's what people get out of this show. And, and as I said in the intro, Tom, I really hope that hearing these candid admissions and testimonies helps us all have grace for ourselves and our humanity, as well as convicts us to, uh, well, as you said, go get practical and tactical and start shoring things up. Tom, always a pleasure and an honor. Blessing. It was a blessing. Thanks, Kevin. Well, friends, what do you think there? What aspects of your words, thoughts, and behavior, your very character, are you proud of? And what areas are you not so proud of? Again, I hope you're feeling some grace in not being alone in your weak areas while also feeling inspired and convicted to shore them up. Coming up next in episode 733, break your predictive behavior to really ignite your brain. A key to a great story plot or comedy routine is to take people along a predictive path and then disrupt it. Our human nature loves this because it ignites pleasurable feelings in our brain and in our mind. Well, a master of communication who led us through some of the ways to leverage this prediction is Jared Cooney Harvath, our main guest in episode 731. This is our habit show, and in the mental spoke, Jared shared a common tactic he uses for himself 
himself is to break his own predictive patterns so as to foster new programming for his brain to really, again, ignite it. I mean, what a simple and effective tactic. We generally want to find a routine we like and take the ease uh, of sticking to it. And in some regards, this is good as our mind can be on autopilot and freed up for other thinking and tasks. But if we completely routinize our lives, we can become stagnant and complacent. I once had a friend dealing with OCD who was charged by her therapist to drive a different way home each day from work. She about blew a gasket, not taking her tried and true routine path, but it helped to do the trick to wake up her mind to other possibilities. This and other spokes of Jared's habit are in this show. Uh, you can find Jared's book, Stop Talking, Start Influencing, 12 Messages from Brain Science to Make Your Message Stick on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Folks, till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.